Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. This is Let's Talk Portland, Intercom Radio Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. On the show this time, I would like to welcome Jeff Carr. Jeff is the CEO of Albertina Kerr. Hey there, Jeff. How's it going? Good. How are you, Gary? Thanks for having me. Certainly. Before we get started on talking about Albertina Kerr, I want to check in with you. How are you and your family and friends and colleagues all doing during this unprecedented time? You know, we're doing okay. I would say, um, you know, the last two weeks has been very busy. Um, You know, Albertina Kerr cares for hundreds uh, of people in 24-hour care facilities, and we have nearly 60 different locations like that. So, you know, weather, any kind of an event. So sometimes weather events or anything that would cause people to stay in their homes um, and not go to work or school or the like, uh, we continue to operate. We don't have that choice. And so I think the last two weeks, you know, just trying to respond to this, help make sure we keep our, our clients and our employees safe. You know, we've been putting a lot of time and effort into that, but we feel good about where we're headed and how we're responding to that. That's great. Good to hear. So tell us about Albertina Kerr. What kind of work do you guys do? So we work with uh, kids and adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities and children with mental health challenges. Um, We have, uh, in the developmental disabilities area, we have about uh, 57 group homes, um, and that's where we provide 24-hour residential care. In fact, um, for kids in our our kids' group homes, we actually have almost 60% of all the kids in the state of Oregon who have an intellectual or developmental disability and require 24-hour residential care. They're in a home that's operated by Albertina Kerr. Um, we also provide um, employment training and assistance for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities, a really growing area of our operation um, to try and get more um adults into employment. Actually, people with disabilities have about an 85% unemployment rate. So it's a huge need for folks. And it actually, you know, for those who are more neurotypical in a work environment, um, I think having a person with an intellectual or developmental disability whose brain works different um, often is is really a, a valuable tool and actually brings a different perspective to a workplace that sometimes I think people don't think about. And then we also run something called the Portland Art and Learning Studios, which is a day program for adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities who make some of the most amazing art. We have a little gallery in a 10,000-square-foot warehouse up on uh, Martin Luther King, just south of the entrance to the Alberta Arts District in Northeast Portland. Um, And then we do children's outpatient mental health, and we have a 24-bed crisis psychiatric facility that's a subacute level of care um, out on our 10-acre campus in Gresham. 
you guys are doing a lot. And, and a, lot, a lot of your services are statewide, is that correct? Well, we're pretty much focused. We, we receive kids and uh, clients often from statewide, including even from Washington and sometimes Idaho uh, and California in our crisis psychiatric facility. But we're primarily, our physical locations are in four counties, in the Tri-County area here in Portland and then in Marion County right now. Okay. And uh, Albertina Kerr has quite a history. Like, it's been around for a long, long time. It Tell has. Since 1907, it was started. Um by a free Methodist minister named William McLaren. You might recognize that name or your listeners might because he was quite a criminal justice um, reformer in, on the entire West Coast. Actually, McLaren Hall, which is a, the juvenile facility in Salem, is actually named after him. And um, I worked and lived in Los Angeles for um, about 30 years. And the juvenile facility in Los Angeles, L.A. County, was called McLaren Hall, named after him. So he was quite a social reformer. And... Um, you know, throughout our 113-year history, Albertina Kerr, pretty much our sweet spot has been serving vulnerable Oregonians. Um, and those those folks were from homeless men who were coming out of prison to uh, women, young women who found themselves single and pregnant, um, you know, back in the day where that wasn't um, acceptable society-wise to foster care and adoptions um, and right up to the present day of mental health and, and uh, disability. So we have a pretty long and storied history here in Oregon. And how long have you been with Albertina Kerr, Jeff? I came to Albertina Kerr in July of 2016. And just to give you a little bit about the stability of the organization, I'm only the fourth CEO in 113 <laughs> oh, years, wow. and I've, I've not been here four years yet. So pretty amazing uh, stability of leadership here. See, it sounds like when CEO gets on there, they, you, you want to stick around and help. Well, that's what they, yeah, I, I joked my predecessor uh, had been here 27 years. He was only the third longest serving CEO. I, used, I always give him a hard time and say, you know, you were such a slacker, Chris. You were only here 27 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeff, we are definitely in some unprecedented times. Tell me what Albertina Kerr is, is doing to help kind of make things a little bit normal. Or, or how's it going for you guys? Well, like I mentioned at the beginning, um, we're mostly just really trying to protect our, our clients and our employees because, as I mentioned, we provide 24-hour residential care. And frankly, some of the folks in our group homes, particularly some, we have some homes that are uh, what we would call medically fragile homes. So we have people in some of those homes. And by the way, our homes are usually between three and five bed homes. So we have three to five clients in those homes. We have people with pretty significant underlying health issues in the best of times, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so not too different from you know, many senior facilities that are being very cautious and very protective of their clients. We're, we're taking a lot of precautions ourselves. And then, you know, depending on uh, people getting infected, you know, we can't just, you know, I mean, we were telling people to stay home, but at some point if we had a huge outbreak amongst our employees, that would really have a tremendous impact on our ability to, to have staffing levels that are enable us to keep people safe. So we've got a lot of, protocols in terms of um, sanitation around limiting access to outsiders other than our employees or, you know, even limiting family visits at the moment as much as possible to really, um, frankly, protect our um, clients and also to protect our employees. And yet, you know, uh, children's mental health, we, we haven't really seen a spike yet, but we anticipate we might because, you know, as you have kids out of school cooped up in their homes if you have kids with underlying uh, mental health challenges, um, you know, on an average day, 
you know, you, you wonder if that'll have an impact on kids. And we suspect that, you know, we'll have kids and families that will really be struggling because they have some underlying problems that are not necessarily going to get better because of the current situation with a lot of anxiety and fear that people are feeling. Yeah, I wanted to ask about the anxiety. I, I would imagine there's some, there's quite a lot of it right now with, with everyone. Yeah, I think, you know, fear and anxiety are, that's kind of a bad cocktail, right? You know, for mental health. Um, and and there is, I mean, it's it's not unreasonable fear. I mean, this is, you know, we, we know what we know right now about this virus, um, but it's it, it's kind of scary, right? So I, I think it for people to be a little bit of afraid, there's that's not unusual. And then the anxiety that comes with that fear, um, because people don't feel like they have they can control, right? All of us, I think, as humans, have some desire to be able to sort of control our lives or exercise as much control over our lives as possible. Now that may be misplaced because maybe we don't any of us have as much control over our lives as we'd like to think we <laughs> that's do. So true. But, you know, that then generates more anxiety, and then that anxiety often leads to more fear. And so it's, it's kind of a, a circular thing. And if you can't get off that, that kind of treadmill, um, that, that's a really scary place to be, I think, if you're a child or an adult. And so, um, you know, we wanna, we're, we're continuing to do telehealth or telecounseling with all of our outpatient clients. Our, our inpatient facility is a secure facility. We're actually admitting kids still um, as we speak every day because just because we have a situation like we have right now doesn't mean that we don't have kids who are severely escalated who may have tried to harm themselves or harm someone else and they need you know, a pretty high level of care to try and stabilize them and get them back to a more regular baseline. Yeah, these are just crazy times, aren't they? My goodness. Yeah. We're yeah. talking, talking today with Jeff Carr, CEO of Albertina Kerr. Now, Jeff, uh, tell me about some of the, the services and programs that are offered through you guys. Yeah, so children's mental health, um, outpatient and inpatient, uh, residential care for adults, and, and then employment and uh, day services for uh, adults and art programs. We also have some social enterprises, I think, that would be an in interest of people at our headquarters, which is uh, our historic headquarters were built in 1922. Um, actually, the land was a, a gift from Alexander Kerr from the Kerr Jar Company. Um, we actually run some social enterprises that are run by um, a, a host of volunteers. Now, those are closed now presently, but we have a restaurant um, that's open Monday through Friday and fantastic food. We have a gift shop, a thrift store, and an antique store. And then we also have um, a bike, something called Kerr Bikes, that we have two locations, one at OMSI on the river there on the east Esplanade, and then we have another location um, on the west uh, park there at uh, right by the Rose Festival headquarters. And we do bike rentals, and we're also at the OMSI site. We are actually Bike Town's adaptive bike um, provider. So if you have people who can't ride a traditional bike, um, they need a hand cycle or some other, lots of different, more accessible bikes, we're actually the official Bike Town rental for the city of Portland and Department of Transportation at our location at OMSI for people who may have... um, some sort of physical disability that limits their ability to ride a a regular standard bike. So those are social enterprises that we operate. It provides an opportunity for um, particularly the bike shop. Um, Some of our kids are able to work there in the summer and volunteer from some of our group homes. And then um, all those businesses, they probably generate, well, they have, they're not going to do it for the next few months, generated, you know, 150 to $200,000 of net profit that basically goes in to help support and underwrite our mission. That's really cool. I was looking at your website about Kerr Bikes, and that 
just, and I guess in normal times, um, that would be a great thing to just, anybody can come and, and rent a bike, right? Yeah. And actually we were open until last Friday. Once we, it became pretty clear that the governor was going to issue a stay at home order. We just, you know, in abundance of caution for both our employees and, and the public, we decided to close it. Um, until then we'd been doing some rentals because we also thought, you know, people need to get out yeah. um, and this would be helpful. So, but we closed it left Friday, the 24th. Well, maybe this would be a good time to talk about what else is opened and closed with Albertina Kerr at this time. Well, our, as I said, our 24 hour uh, facilities are all open. The, the children's uh, crisis psychiatric facility, the 24 bed facility, that's open operating pretty much as it normally does our outpatient mental health. So in fact, if people do need access to outpatient mental health, they need to see a therapist um, they could call, you know, go on our website, and if they need help, to to um, reach out through our website for that, because we're continuing to provide that um, telecounseling. Um, we are presently closed. Our day services and art program is closed down. We're doing limited employment help. Um, great story, actually. You know, uh, a number. Obviously, the the grocery stores are now considered an essential service, and we actually have two of our interns who were hired at Fred Meyer. Um, and they're actually part of, so these are adults with, who happen to have a, an intellectual or developmental disability who are part of the workforce there. And so some of our job coaches are actually supporting them there uh, in their employment role. So we're doing a little bit of employment stuff as well because, you know, they still need workers and, and, and we have some folks who are great workers and we want to support them through that process. That's great. How, how important is employment to the people that you work with? It's, it's, it provides so many things. Yeah, well, as I mentioned, you know, when you think about, if you think about all adults in our country who happen to experience an intellectual or developmental disability, that only 15% of them works. I mean, that's a pretty striking number, an 85% uh, 85 unemployment rate. And then if you, even those 15%, um, historically, the vast majority of those have not worked, um, only one in about 10 worked in what would be considered an integrated competitive employment. So think minimum wage or higher job. And in an, in an environment where is, it's more neurotypical, right? So not everybody that works there happens to have an intellectual or developmental disability. So helping folks who often who have an intellectual or developmental disability who experience a lot of social isolation um, to be able to find uh, meaningful um, employment in an integrated setting where they're not isolated by themselves or they're not isolated with other people with intellectual or developmental disabilities is a really, really important thing. And, you know, for like any of us, I mean, most of us as adults spend the majority of our days, uh, certainly during the week, working, right? And there's a lot of, I think, mental health, positive mental health outcomes that come from work that we often take for granted, those of us that are working and have had the uh, fortune to be able to work regularly for most of our adult lives. Um, if you don't have that, um, that, that, creates more complications, you know, and, and people who experience an intellectual or developmental disability, they also have mental health challenges. I think in the past, you know, our understanding of how the human brain works has changed. I think we attributed a lot of things for folks with intellectual or developmental disability to their disability, not knowing that really what they were experiencing or struggling with was an underlying mental health issue that all of us face, whether we experience a disability or not. How important is integration? I, I would assume that's a, that's a big goal for Albertina Kerr is integration. Yeah, I mean, I, I would look at this. So I, I happen to be able-bodied and uh, and neurotypical would be the way I'd describe myself. Um, and 
I will tell you the reason I'm at Albertina Kerr was I, I, I had no experience really of anyone in my family who experienced a disability, an intellectual or developmental disability, had not been around a lot of um, folks who did. And I uh, was working for the mayor at the time in Los Angeles, and my, uh, a friend of mine who had a daughter who had cerebral palsy, he was very involved in the Special Olympics. So I got sucked into um, a bid that the city put together that we actually won the bid and, and hosted the Special Olympics World Summer Games back in 2015. And I, I worked for three and a half years to, to help us get ready for that and host that event that had about 6,500 athletes from 165 countries around the world. And that was really my first exposure to uh, adults with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And when I started to spend time with the athletes, um, I was just amazed by their their courage, their determination, their joy, you know, in the Special Olympics that was largely through sport, but really in life overall. And as I began to interact regular, we hired a number of athletes to work on the organizing committee. And the joy that they brought um, to my life in our workplace and, um, you know, the, the way their brains worked differently brought things and strengths to our environment, our work environment that we that I'd never experienced. And, um, you know, for me, that was a really powerful experience for me and my family. And I, I think, you know, it's interesting. We have something called Project Search, which is a uh, internship program, and we do it at Embassy Suites in Washington Square. And we have two locations, Kaiser Sunnyside and Kaiser Westside, and then now with the city of Salem. And when I go to these graduations, it's a nine-month internship where the interns do like three, three-month rotations, and it really gives them an opportunity to get exposed to the workplace sometimes for the first time. And every time I go to these graduations, they're just a joy. And it's interesting, the interns get up and talk about their experience and what they learn, and it's really powerful. But the the managers at the host job location, you know, at Kaiser or at Embassy Suites, they get up and talk about their experience. And I always laugh because I'm not sure who gets more out of it. I know our interns get a lot of it. But you hear these managers from these workplaces talking about our interns and saying, you know, Johnny completely um, changed our work environment for my the employees that I manage. He just brought a, a different perspective to us, and we were so enriched by his or her presence in our workplace. And I think that story doesn't get out enough. Um, I think sometimes, you know, where we've placed people initially, they'll say like, oh, yeah, we want to do a good deed, right? You know, we want to help this person who happens to experience a developmental disability. Right. And typically our experience is once they get in there and they start working, the employers will just thank us profusely because they're like, oh, my gosh, we thought we were just doing a good deed. He makes our workplace better, which is what we need. You know, and not only does he do good work or she do good work, but it makes our workplace a better place for the rest of our employees, which is something we're trying to figure out how to create a better culture um, all the time. And so uh, that's really I think our folks have, have something to offer. And I think oftentimes we focus on their disability and we miss all the abilities that they possess and the skills they bring to an environment. That is super great. I love that. If if somebody listening right now is an employer and they want to hire somebody, how can or even think about it? How can they find out about how to employ uh, employ somebody? Then come to our website. Um, tell us you're in and and call us or email us and tell us you're interested in um, in possibly hiring a person who experiences a disability. And our employment team, boy, they will be on you like <laughs> like <laughs> quick, yeah, because they're always looking for new locations. Because honestly, there's. There's there's people out there who want to work. They just they, we need to find them a place, you know. So that would be fantastic. We're talking today with Jeff Carr, CEO of Albertina Kerr. Now, Albertina Kerr is a nonprofit, correct? 
It is, yep. And so a nonprofit needs to uh, raise money somehow. How do you guys do that? Well, we do it through a number of ways. Um, we have lots, um, we, you know, lots of individual donors. Um, we run some, uh, we have uh, corporate sponsorships that we do. Um, we run some great events. Um, unfortunately, because of this outbreak, we have our, the Rip City Race for the Roses that we've um, partnered with um, uh, the Blazers that's held at the Moda Center. That was scheduled for April 26th. We postponed that, hoping to look for another time in the fall. Um, and then we do a, a something called Discover Cur, which is a kind of a exposure to people about our mission and what we do, a luncheon. And then we do something called 24 Hours of Cur every September, which is a golf tournament on one day and a gala on Saturday night that we do out in um, Oregon City on a 35-acre um, horse farm and we in an arena. We, it's like a country gala. So instead of your typical chicken dinner in the basement or a hotel where you got to wear a suit and a tie, everybody comes in country casual wearing jeans and boots. And we raised, you know, almost a half a million dollars last year and we have an absolute blast. We got a bonfire with roasting s'mores for after dinner and um, dance, line dancing. And it's really, really a fantastic event. So if people are interested in supporting Kerr, um, through those events um, or other ways by participating in the race. When the race comes back, those are different ways people can get involved with us. Yeah, interestingly enough, we scheduled this interview a few weeks back because we wanted to talk about the uh, Rip City Race for the Roses. And my goodness, how things have changed over the last few weeks. I know, isn't that the <laughs> truth? That is sure true. Well, I'm looking at your uh, website right now too, and there's a big donate button so people can donate there. And volunteers, tell me how people can volunteer with you guys. Yeah, well, like I mentioned, those businesses, um, the restaurant and the um, thrift shop and the um, gift shop and, and um, antique shop, heirlooms, those are always, we're always in need of volunteers. Those are, those are mostly Monday through Saturday. We have some Saturday times as well. Um, but we can always use volunteers there, and those are everything from cooks to waiters and waitresses to clerks to sorting materials, um, lots of different ways there. Um, we're always looking for volunteers at our Portland Art and Learning Studios. If there are some of your listeners who are artists, um, when that facility is closed right now until we get through this um, this crisis we're in now, but when that's open, um, we're always looking for volunteers who might be willing to help um, some of our adults who are, are artists to continue to hone their craft and help them. So um, those are a couple ways people could volunteer, certainly. And if, a, if somebody out there is, is looking for some assistance, maybe a family member needs some help, uh, what's the best way to, to do that? Absolutely. Go to our website, um, uh, and there's, there's a way there. You could send an email or a number you can call um, to get access to one of the programs and services that we offer, and we, we, that's why we exist. So please do call if you need help. Once life gets back to normal, Jeff, what are you, what are you guys hoping to be doing? Well, you know, the need's not going anywhere. I, I wish, uh, you know, in 2016, as it comes to relates to mental health, uh, children's mental health, Oregon was ranked, I believe, uh, 51st in the country. Hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know if we were ahead of the U.S. Virgin Islands or behind Puerto Rico, but I'm not sure that's the kind of company that we as Oregonians want to keep. And so the need, you know, the 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 number one cause of death amongst teenagers and adolescents in Oregon is, is suicide. And so, um, you know, we have some pretty severe um, demographic and statistics for kids, children's mental health. So we certainly want to continue to grow that because we know the need is out there. And um, particularly 
Um, there's a particular need that we're looking to identify. I've been working on plans. They got delayed a little bit now with this crisis, but was kids who have what's called a dual diagnosis. And so kids who experience an intellectual or developmental disability and have are having underlying mental health issues. That's kind of a niche um, need for care that there's really nothing west of the Mississippi. And we're looking to expand our crisis psychiatric unit and add six more beds to specifically help kids who are really struggling with that need. A lot of those kids are spending times in the emergency rooms boarding because there's no place for them to go. Um, and then we're also, um, we continue to forge ahead. We're building 150 units of workforce and affordable housing out on our Gresham campus. Um, you know, we have a lot of um, workers and a lot of service workers and, and direct care workers in our state, not just Kerr, but, you know, lots of other nonprofits. With the increasing skyrocketing, skyrocketing rents over the last decade here in Portland, a lot of folks who are the, really the working poor and they're really the backbone for our um, taking care of vulnerable people, they've had a hard time finding um, housing. And so we've, we've, we're building this project specifically to target those, those workers, not just Kerrs, but other direct care workers with 120 units that will be um, built to be affordable. And then we're, t we're going to build 30 units um, for a total of 150. The 30 units will be designed universally accessible and for be for very low income people who actually experience a disability because there are some people with a disability who could live on their own, but the challenge is they often, if they find a place that's affordable, it's not accessible, right? Universally accessible. And if they find a place that's accessible, it's often not affordable. And so we have been working on this for about two and a half years, and we're still um, hopeful we may be able to start construction sometime by late summer or fall. Uh, that might get pushed a little bit, but um, that's a big project we've been working on for the last two and a half years. Well, it sounds like thanks to Albertina Kerr, the future's looking a little more bright. Well, I hope so. Yeah. We're, we, we're not going anywhere. We've awesome. been here for 113 years. We plan on being here for another 100 years. So, Well, thank you for doing the work you do. It's great. Absolutely. Thank you. We've been talking today with Jeff Carr, CEO of Albertina Kerr. Thanks for being on the show. You bet. Thank you, Gary. Let's Talk Portland is an Intercom Radio Portland public affairs program.